The defence calls John Stuart Collis. Mr Collis, you are a farmer, a poet and a scientist of some renown, are you not? That is so. And what have you to say in defence of the pig? My lord, pigs are very attractive animals. Yes, yes, they are attractive. When a body of them are all together, all snorting and making a general row, and, and one suddenly appears, silence will immediately fall on the entire assembly. Indeed, the attention is so rapt, so encouraging, that, that I sometimes have been tempted to emulate the great St. Francis of Assisi and preach the entire congregation of pigs a sermon. And next to their intelligence, I would place their cleanliness. Yes, you heard me right. I did say cleanliness. Pigs are very, very clean. They don't, they don't mind a bit of mud and appear even to eat it, but they are very clean in essentials. And as for the sows, there we come upon some really marvellous personalities, though often they are rather supercilious in their countenance. The only thing about swine is that they scream when they are being hurt. We don't like this, so we call it squealing. Hi, Michael Sheridan, people calls me Mickey all over Dublin. I'm at pigs all my life, my people before me. Even to the wives, she was reared up with pigs and cattle, much the same as ourselves, but um, it's a way of life is gone. The good days is all gone. Sadly, it is. But maybe I have many years left. I'm going 76 now. I'm still able to do a bit of work here. Not a whole lot, but the pigs was my life and they'll still be my life to the day I die. Oh, pigs might fly, he said. And if they do, wouldn't I love to be on the pig's back? I'd be happy as Larry, says he. Happy as Larry, indeed. Do you remember the fella on Just a Minute with Larry Gogan? Complete the saying, says Larry, as happy as... As happy as a pig in shit, Larry, says he. Oh, pig ignorant, I call that. Pig ignorant, stupid pig. Sure, it's all jiggery-pokery pig in the pokery, if you ask me. Anyway, there I was, in the pig and whistle. What a dump, a total pigsty. And this muck savage, a little runt of the litter he was, came up and asked me to dance. 
dance, says I. With what, says I. With me, says he. Get up on your trotters and show us your hands, a fine agricultural girl like you. Well, I told him, get back to the trough, says I, and stick your ugly snout in it. Fat ignorant piggy was, call me an old sow. I'll give you old sow, I said. Oh, yes, I did. I put a curl in his tail. Corley, wee, 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 he cried all the way home to his mammy, squealing like a stuck pig he was. A fellow once asked me in Cricklewood, Do you know what, he says? What, says I? I'd love to know, do the buses in Dublin still squeal like a stuck pig? That's what I miss most about Dublin, the buses squealing like stuck pigs. "'Twas an evening in November, as I very well remember. "'I was strolling down the street in drunken pride. "'But my knees were all a-flutter, so I landed in the gutter. "'And a pig came up and sat down by my side. "'Yes, I lay there in the gutter, thinking thoughts I couldn't utter.' When a Colin passing by did softly say, You can tell a man that boozes by the company he chooses. And at that the pig got up and slowly walked away. I think that pigs is mucky and that they eat everything and they roll around in the muck and everything like that. Some of them, if you let them out into an old field where there's old west ground and that, they will roll in the muck all they right. cool themselves. And cool themselves off. But, I mean, when they're in the sty, like, I've seen pigs and they won't eat uh, parsnips. They don't like parsnips. And they, they leave onions as well. That's two items now that I know. And sometimes when the feeding comes in, there'll be... I often found... Two shillings and shillings. It's t- explained. Wiggy Jones's money. In the truck. In the, the truck. And, like, how you know it'll be in there to be playing with her all day? Or maybe, you know, a spoon or a fork or something like that. But, like, they, they don't... Uh, people think they're very dirty, but they're not dirty. So they're not. So the pigs is, is very clean. And, like, when the sows... The little pigs now, when they're born and that, as soon as... They're able for to run around. They'll weigh up in one corner and manure in another corner. They they don't soil their bedding or anything like that, so they don't. And they do love to get out in the field all right and roam around and lie in the water and that. But you could let them out in no real warm weather. They'll blister. Yeah, and like, it, there's the funny no protection. Thing about them, if they are out in warm weather in the field, and they, they will coat themselves with any wet clay that they can get and that prevents them from being sunburned so it does because their skin does blister if they're out a long time out and they must have shelter so they do other than that you have to give them umbrella everything is very very good with the pigs this be Tom Wart Tom here your favourite old boar telling you what things makes us pigs happy things like Grazing on fresh grass, mm, especially clover. Rooting, especially after a rainstorm when the ground is nice and soft. Special treats such as apples, 
cantaloupes, mmm, watermelon, and fresh vegetables. No onions, mind, or parsnips. We don't like them. Sunbathing. Oh, that's nice. But got to be careful here. Don't forget to apply the old sun lotion to our backs, cos we get burned, you know, just like humans do. Belly rubs. Oh, I am butt scratching. You can't beat that for sheer comfort. Where I come from in Dublin, the back to Children's Hospital in Temple Street, it was a small neighbourhood, and I think between that and Bat Lane, that would be Richardson's, Mountjoy Square, uh, Charles Street, and in all around there, Gloucester Diamond, Gloucester Street, and all that area was nothing only pigs kept. And I think, to my knowledge, there could be over 2,000 pigs rare in that little neighbourhood alone. And that'd be twice that going out to the market every six months. People have always put more or less Christmas, they've always a few pigs going out for Christmas. But this, the pigs in the city of Dublin, city of Dublin fed itself one time. The manure off the pigs and off the horses in the city of Dublin went to the county Dublin farmer for the market garden for growing vegetables to keep, keep our town fed. But all these things is all gone. Gone, gone forever. Unfortunately. The mystery of where the milk went to was soon cleared up. It was mixed every day into the pig's mash. The early apples were now ripening, and the grass of the orchard was littered with windfalls. The animals had assumed as a matter of course that these would be shared out equally. One day, however, the order went forth that all the windfalls were to be collected and brought to the harness room for the use of the pigs. At this, some of the other animals murmured, but it was no use. All the pigs were in full agreement on this point, even Snowball and Napoleon. Squealer was sent to make the necessary explanation to the others. Comrades, he cried. You do not imagine, I hope, that we pigs are doing this in a spirit of selfishness and privilege. Many of us actually dislike milk and apples. I dislike them myself. Our sole object in taking these things is to preserve our health. Milk and apples, this has been proved by science, comrades, contain substances absolutely necessary to the well-being of a pig. We pigs are brain workers. The whole management and organisation of this farm depend on us. Day and night we are watching over your welfare. It is for your sake that we drink that milk and eat those apples. Do you know what would happen if we pigs failed in our duty? Jones would come back. Yes, Jones would come back. Surely, comrades, cried Squealer, almost pleadingly, skipping from side to side and whisking his tail. Surely there is no one among you who wants to see Jones come back. 
Now, if there was one thing that the animals of Manor Farm were completely certain of, it was that they did not want Jones back. When it was put to them in this light, they had no more to say. The importance of keeping the pigs in good health was all too obvious. So it was agreed without further argument that the milk and the windfall apples, and also the main crop of apples when they ripened, should be reserved for the pigs alone. We're still feeding, Swell. We're still feeding. And I reckon, myself, I guarantee with anyone, I'm out here and get a pig killed in Kyle's. I'm sure he would kill a pig for you. You'd have to pay him. And you bring it home and you cook it. And you never had such a sweeter bit of meat than my pigs. But them that's getting my pigs out here never own up to that. Forget about your meal fed pigs. What my pigs is getting is coming out of the ground. It's going, going into the pigs and it's going back into the ground. There you see in here, see her now. She has cooked carrots in that feed. She's carrots. She she's bread mixed through it. Potatoes and soup. You hear her sucking the soup up. <laughs> So, like, what, what the pig is eating today, it's a laugh for me to say, for what I collect out of the houses, it might look wrong to other people. But when it's all boils down, you only had that for your dinner yourself the day before. Litany for the pig. Sorrowful and pale brother, sister sacrificed countless times, your name... Sullied, dragged through the mud for thousands of years, be praised. Most generous of all creatures, you give yourself totally. Noble pig, pig undefiled, pig beloved by many nations, immaculate pig. Once you reigned in the chestnut forest, the closed garden of purity, in a coat of dark fur, Energy bristling on slim flanks, wrathful and protective parent of striped princelings. Savant and high priest, worshipped and devout, trotting on split hoofs over the tiles of sinking temples as swiftly as through the padded grounds of airy, leafy dominions. The earth took you into soft, miry arms, rocked you in warm ponds, gave up to you only its black-buried wonder, the rotting velvet of the truffle. You were mother of cunning and kindness when you arrived, and a misery from great distance, light as aerial, your body the simple curved outline and firmness of a water jug, your white-lashed eyes full of wit and knowledge of other worlds. The word made flesh, you dwelt among us, but we closed our ears to your message. The deaf president didn't hear, nor the philosopher of the taverns, not the soldier, nor the professor. And now it's too late. You were free, so we crushed you. We insulted you with our refuse. You, who were used to a diet of acorn and sage, chestnut and wild thyme, You had to become more like us, naked, exposed, fearful. 
torn limb from limb, you're no more than a grotesque, swelling fruit, squashed into stinking prisons, breeding generations of slaves. Captive, trembling and devoured, silent lamb to the slaughter, your heart is broken. For the latest news on the two ginger Tamworth pigs, we're still free after six days on the run. But while they trot around somewhere in Wiltshire, the news on their pal, a third boar transported with them who did not get away, was not so good. On the two pigs' six day of freedom, a spokesman for Newman Slaughterhouse in Mamsbury, Wiltshire, said yesterday the third member of the group was processed in the usual way. Two Tamworth pigs en route one day from piggery to table Both saw the hand of chance held out and grabbed while they were able Out of the trailer through the gap to run where it might lead them Since Russia moves our what succeed along the road to freedom Oh, not for us the butcher's knife, not for us the stun gun For by the time the week is out, they'll know of us in London. Now Tamworth pigs are ginger pigs, resourceful, quick and gritty, and make up in athletics what they miss in being pretty. For having gained some distance from the slaughterhouse is third. 
They swim the river raven like a Chinese team on drugs. Oh, not for us the butcher's knife, not for us the stun gun. For by the time the week is out, they'll know of us in London. They foraged in some woodland in a Malmesbury environment. Their trademark Tamworth trotter prints proclaimed these pigs of iron. And they became the heroes of a sentimental nation. As the Cassidy and Sundance of a porcine situation. Oh, not for us the butcher's knife, not for us the stun gun. For by the time the week is out, they'll know of us in London. Oh, not for us the butcher's knife, not for us the stun gun. For by the time the week is up, they'll know of us in London. No charity, come on. Come on. Hey, yep. Hey, yep. My son, he doesn't come in. Come on. Yep. Hey, yep. He's so big, isn't he? <laughs> he won't Now, there's our wall. Uh, now, that's a big cell, isn't it? We call the boss Charlie. We always call the boss Charlie because christening names, you get mixed up in them, but uh, Charlie Moore is the bower anywhere you go that people are always. And the cells are more or less rosy or peggy. Just, uh, and molly. And molly. Now, just want to scratch. Here, huh? Here. That one must be about 600 weight. And that will be on the, nearly on the 700 weight for Bower. And more or less too heavy. This is a, one of a series of short stories I wrote about um, based on my own childhood in in Arbo and the central figure is someone called Mary Ellen and when I was writing the story the stories I didn't realise because I was um, not so knowledgeable as I am now that Mary Ellen um, her initial spells me and so it's a combination of me and the little child me now and the little child but Mary Ellen actually also as well as being the future me was um, Sarah who looked after us for years and whom I loved but in fact, the story that I've made Mary Ellen tell is the story that happened to me. When Mary Ellen was a little girl, there was a tree in the Inverlonen near her house and there was an iron spike stuck deep into the trunk high in the tree below the top branches. It was too high up for Mary Ellen to reach it, but her bigger brothers, John Joe and Packy, could scramble up by the knots in the bark to swing from the spike their feet in their big steel-tipped boots dangling at Mary Ellen's eyes. The tree was called 
the pig tree. But Mary Ellen had never seen a pig near it. Now Mary Ellen's father's father had kept a pig and her father always wanted to keep one but he could never get the money together. And then when Mary Ellen was little there was one season when the fishing was great on the loch so much so that her mother and father went into Cookstown Market and bought a pig. It was pink and black when they got it home and it snorted and squealed as Mary Ellen's father pulled it out of the carter's crate in the bottom of the cart. Mary Ellen's father tied a rope around its neck and pulled it to the small house where the ducks had always been kept and put it in there and that week Mary Ellen's father and brothers built a low wall with a little gate around the house so the pig could be outside without wandering and the house was called the pig crawl after that and Mary Ellen used to go and stand on the low rung of the gate and watch the pig. It was small when they got it. And every day Mary Ellen's mother saved the potato peelings and any food that was over and boiled it up for the pig. And she added pig meal and she called it a scouder. And in the evenings John Joe used to bring the hot scouder down in a bucket. And as soon as the pig heard the noise of the bucket it began moving and grunting with excitement and almost knocked John Joe over when he was emptying it out. And sometimes when the pig was eating, John Joe would scratch its back and it wouldn't even move. And after a time, Mary Ellen went in and scratched its back too and it felt it was smooth yet bristly. Mary Ellen hated the pig. The way it rootled around in the sty and looked at her with small pale eyes. But she went down to see it every day and sometimes she would take her piece of bread from tea and hide it in her pocket and throw it to the pig and watch it eat it. The pig got fatter and fatter, but all the same, it was never very fat. It was always more long than fat. That's the class of pig it is, John Joe said. The more Mary Ellen brought her bread to the pig, the more she began to be able to like it, and soon she felt it was waiting for her in the evenings after tea. Don't be petting that pig, her father said to her once, for Jimmy the Bridge will be here afore long. Jimmy the Bridge was an old man who lived near the round bridge that went over the little river that flowed into the loch and that river was called the Inver. One day when Mary Ellen came home from school the kitchen stove was covered with steaming pots and pans of water and even the bath that the family washed the feet and legs in was being used and the kitchen was full of steam. Mary Ellen's father and John Joe and Packy were there too and Jemmy the bridge who was sharpening his knife on a grey stone and Mary Ellen was afraid to go closer. The rasping sound hurt her ears. That's the best oil stone in the country, Jimmy said, running his finger along the long knife. And this knife has stuck a queer lock of pigs. The knife has to be that sharp, he said to Mary Ellen, to get through to the heart straight off. Mary Ellen ran out of the house down to the rampart to see if the pig was all right. It stood in a corner of the crawl, and as she climbed onto the gate, it came over towards her for the bread, and as she looked down at it and it up at her, she heard the men coming down the rampart, and at the same time she heard her mother calling her, but she pretended she didn't hear. Her father said as he reached her, Go on you up to the house, Mary Ellen. Your mother's looking for you. But although Mary Ellen went as if to go, she didn't. She only crept round the corner of the wall and peeped over. The men went into the crawl and the pig began to squeal even before they caught it. It backed away 
but her father caught it by the ears and tried to wrestle it over, but it tore free and ran between his legs, knocking him over. Bad cess to you, you tackle, he said, getting up out of the straw, and Jemmy the Bridge caught it by the tail. The pig had been squealing the whole time, but now its squeals became screams and higher. Mary Ellen had never heard a noise like that. It hurt her head and tore the air, and Jemmy pulled the pig between his knees. Mary Ellen stared at its front legs and feet, small, straining, its toes scrabbling as it tried to pull away. As she watched its legs, more thin and delicate than she had realised, those dainty legs bent and buckled, but the pig didn't fall. Jimmy turned it on its back, and kneeling over it, he cut three little slanty red lines in the pig's throat, like the margin lines in her sister's school books. Then he pushed the knife further in, and pulled it slowly down the pink stomach, and blood followed the line of the knife. You have it stuck, Mary Helen's father said to Jemmy. But the pig was still jerking and struggling so much that Jemmy fell off, and had got to its feet, and had staggered to the wall to where Mary Ellen was looking over. Its eyes looked as though milk had been poured over them, and then Jemmy and her father turned it over again, and this time it fell more quietly only grunting, and as the knife moved along the stomach, the flesh parted, and Mary Ellen could see the pig's inside. It was moving and beating. There were red and white strings tumbled, and a round thing like a balloon, and Jemmy reached in and pulled out the strings. His arms were red to the elbows, and the pig stopped jerking and lay still, its eyes wide open, and Mary Ellen could look no more. She ran up to her mother who was making soda bread in the kitchen, and she sat down on the settle beside the range and watched her mother pat the soda farls into place on the hot griddle and blow on her fingers to cool them. She didn't say anything to her mother about the pig. She didn't say anything at all. But her mother stopped patting the bread and looked at her, and lifted her off the settle and carried her into the room and put her on the bed and put a shawl over her and stroked her head and at last Mary Ellen went to sleep. When she woke up, it was quiet in the house. She went into the kitchen and her mother gave her a slice of farl and later she went out to see where her brothers were and they were throwing and catching a new white ball which floated when they kicked it. It floated over to Mary Ellen and she jumped up and caught it and saw that it was a balloon. It had a funny milky look like the cover that had come over the pig's eyes. Where did you get the balloon? Mary Ellen asked. That's no balloon. That's the pig's bladder, John Joe said. Kick it on over. Mary Ellen threw the ball over to them. Thorn Pig could have talked to you, Packy said. You had him that much of a pet. But Mary Ellen did not answer. She ran down the road to the infer and to the pig tree. The pig was hanging upside down from the iron spike, its stomach open and neat and empty. Its front legs hung nearly down to the ground and it swung and turned in the evening air. I knew then right enough why it was called the pig tree, Mary Ellen said. And after that day, I could never eat bacon again in my life. 
and you've left the child the same times, he said, looking at me. And indeed it was true that after that, Mary Ellen and I always had champ on bacon days, and I never ate bacon again. <laughs> To me, they're the greatest little animal when you see them barring, they can see, they can run around, and after a couple of hours they're playing with one another. Where a dog has pups, or a bitch has pups and kittens and so forth, they can't lap, their eyes won't open for maybe nine, ten days. But the pig, to me, he's, he's wonderful, he's wonderful. For a short time of pregnancy, that she can produce so much... And rare them all, but not the most, but rare them all. Though people has the wrong idea about pigs, they say, oh, the dirty old things, and that ain't what happened in the place. All wrong. That's their opinion. The only thing they know about a pig is sitting down to eat maybe a pork chop or a bit of ham. But uh, to me, I still stand up to them, the great little, great animal, great animal. The pig, if I am not mistaken, supplies us sausage, ham, and bacon. Let others say his heart is big. I call it stupid of the pig. My name is Richard Corrigan. I come from a, a small, a small village in County Mead called Beliver just on the Westmead borders, brought up in a very traditional environment from an old thatched cottage that was in the family for uh, up to 100 years. We always brought up a couple of pigs always throughout the year to be butchered, to be eaten. It was a, a sad and fun times as well. But as a, as a youngster feeding the, feeding the pig the apples, you get pretty attached to them. And when the, you'd see the gun coming out to be oiled, the smile would be kind of leave your face very quickly. But uh, as I developed and started training as a chef, I was never far away from a, a boiled gammon in Ireland. And going further afield to the Netherlands, I always was brought back to the, the smells of a boiled gammon. So, you know, the smells of a boiled gammon, you know, has a lot to do with my success in running a, one of the top restaurants in London, Lindsay House. In London, you know, we can always say about our... our our restaurant is kind of nose-to-tail eating, which, you know, we have, we have used from the nose to the tail to the ears as well, which one of our specialities in the restaurant is risotto of pig's ears, which is, sounds horrific, but when you taste it, you realise what it's all about. One of our specialities in Lindsay House is uh, on the menu. It's a, it's, a, it's a selection of five different cuts of uh, pork. The stuffed pig's foot, braised, wrapped in its own ham and braised, fillet wrapped in the, the belly of the pork with uh, sage and fried, homemade black pudding, which we were specialists of in the, in the restaurant, small piece of salted pig's liver, and uh, the brain crumbed and deep fried. And we served that with uh, our own marinated and pickled uh, white cabbage. And we served then a, a very creamy mashed potato with it 
and we make a sausage from the leftover cuts of the pork and then we fry it up and we braise it off and we put that over the mashed potato. So it, it, is, it is a feast for your, for your stomach and for your eye. And, and, we, and we call this dish the homage to the pig, which has been on our restaurant menu now for the last three years. And every time I, I try to remove it, we're met with a barrage of criticism for our customers. So in the, it will be there for the near foreseeable future for all those who want to try the, the homage to the pig. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. You want to stay working in my kitchen or not? Anyway, they're all pigs, if you ask me. Men. They're pig-ignorant, a lot of them. I'd rather have a pig in the parlour than one of them in the bedroom, if you know what I mean. Mind you, I suppose there must be the odd, decent pigskin amongst them, but I haven't found them yet. They're all full of porky pies and hairy bacon, if you know what I mean. Pig-headed, the lot of them, with their piggy tails and pot bellies. Pig-smelly, too, never wash themselves half of the time. And as for knowing how to treat a lady, haven't the manners of a pig? Sow's ears trying to pass themselves off as silk porces and making a right pig's mickey of it in the process... Oh, me mother was right. Live horse and you'll get grass, says she. Live pig and they'll want your ass. And look what happened to her. Oh, pigs might fly, all right. And I might end up on the pig's back. Or vice versa, if you know what I mean. But don't you worry. I have me pride and me pricksticles. I'd never go the whole hog, if you know what I mean. But there was one man there, and he used to have four or five pigs out at a time, and they were all lovely, big, clean, white, snow-white pigs. And there was a Mr Fitzgerald that time. He was a pig buyer, and he was a sort of a, a gentleman... Going about, he, he'd look at the pigs and he'd say, Well, I can't take the man's. Uh, well, Mr. Hughes, he says, I must compliment you, he says, on those pigs, he says. They're as clean as Christians. And Hughes says, How do you know they're not Christians? My pigs receive Holy Communion every morning. Don't speak to me like that. Talking about the blessed bread. So anyway, the lad went out, got out with the pen in the market, in the hoofs, because he, he, he used the word that the pigs were getting holy bread in the morning. So curiosity killed the cat. He came back to ask him, what did he mean? So he up and told him that he was getting the bread out of some of the convents, and it was the cuttings off the communion bread, which wasn't blessed now. And uh, the pigs got that in the morning. As a tidbit. And the few pigs and the sows that we have here now, I think, were the last stronghold here in the hills. And when Mickey and I go our business here, none of our crowd's going to take on, and that'll be the end of the pigs here in 
in this part of the country where we are. That's just the way it's gone. Hello there. This be Tamworth Tom, your favourite boar back again with more things that makes us pigs put a smile on our face. We love wallowing in mud puddles or wading pools in the hot weather, aye, exploring the woods and dreaming dreams of, well, ne'er you mind. We pigs likes to dream, we do. Aye, we likes to dream. Clouds sag and pillow on Llarigib Hill. Pigs grunt in a wet wallow bath and smile as they snort and dream. They dream of the acorn swill of the world, the rooting for pig fruit, the bagpipe dugs of the mother sow, the squeal and snuffle of yeses of the women pigs in rut. They mud bask and snout in the pig-loving sun. Their tails curl. They rollick and slobber and snore to deep, smug, after-swill sleep. 